Chapter Eight of A Casket of Cameos. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. A Casket of Cameos by Frank W. Borum. Philip Melanchthon's text. It still stands, the old house at Wittenberg, in which four centuries ago philip melanchthon lived and labored and there inscribed in bold letters above his study door is philip melanchthon's text melanchthon is the most lovable of all the reformers he is gentle winsome unassuming and scholarly his friend camerarius has left us a charming picture of philip's boyhood we seem to have actually looked into the innocent face and deep-set eyes of the young chorister as to the delight of all the worshippers he lifts up his rich clear voice in the choir of the village church at breton in the beautiful rhine country in those days his frank simplicity and brooding seriousness won the affection of all who met him his alert and inquiring mind was the admiration of all his instructors his sensitive spirit and clinging nature conquered every heart in later life it was his fate to be overshadowed and he submitted to the process with the ungrudging cheerfulness of a great and generous spirit he was hidden from the public view behind the massive personality of martin luther but he was never for a moment concealed from luther's view luther knew that melanchthon was all gold and he never attempted to disguise his appreciation of his worth that was a day never to be forgotten when melanchthon discovered and showed luther that the word that had always been translated penance really meant repentance a change of heart the two men were made for each other i am rough and boisterous and stormy writes luther i am born to fight against innumerable monsters and devils i must remove stumps and stones cut away thistles and thorns and clear the wild forests but master philip comes along gently and softly sowing and watering with joy according to the gifts which god has abundantly bestowed upon him melanchthon in his turn reveled in luther's transcendent immensity melanchthon was essentially a hero worshipper and luther was his hero if he writes there is any one whom i dearly love and whom i embrace with my whole heart it is martin luther in his life of melanchthon professor j w richard points out that by his fiery eloquence his genial humor and his commanding personality luther commended the reformation to the people by his moderation his love of order and his profound scholarship melanchthon won for it the support of the learned lovely and pleasant in their lives they toiled prayed and suffered for the same great cause and in death they are not divided when luther died it was melanchthon who pronounced the historic oration over his tomb and when a few years later melanchthon followed him his body was lowered into the same grave they sleep side by side in the old castle church at wittenberg the church on whose door luther nailed his famous theses when he sounded for the first time the battle cry of the reformation high up on the front of this old house at wittenberg you may read the inscription here lived taught and died philip melanchthon for forty years this was his home he loved every stick and stone about the place in the summer time he gathered his students about him in the garden 
and was always sorry when the approach of winter drove them indoors his study was the front room on the second floor see the inscription at this place melanchthon with his eyes turned towards the north wrote those works which the world now holds in high esteem and this other stop traveller against this wall stood the couch on which the venerable philip melanchthon piously and peacefully died april nineteenth fifteen sixty at a quarter past seven o'clock yes against this wall stood the couch it was a little travelling bed that he always took with him on his journeys when he felt himself failing he expressed a strong desire to die in his study within sight of his books the room seemed haunted by the faces of the students who had gathered round him there unfold my little travelling bed he said and stand it against the wall i need it now for i'm going on the longest journey of all the nineteenth of april was a delicious spring day the dying man looked wistfully towards the open window and smiled as there floated into the quiet room the song of the birds he loved so well in the afternoon paul eber his minister called and read to him his favorite passages like most of us philip melanchthon had several scriptures that were particularly dear to him but one stood out from all the rest read those words again he exclaimed interrupting the minister's recital of the eighth of romans if god be for us who can be against us the minister repeated ah that's it that's it murmured melanchthon in a kind of ecstasy if god be for us who can be against us the words had always been an infinite comfort to him in his correspondence in his lectures and his table talk you will find them quoted more frequently than any others in the darkest hours of his life when powerful foes had threatened to destroy him and powerful friends had scowled upon and forsaken him he had solaced himself repeatedly with that reflection if god be for us who can be against us when luther died and it seemed as though the sacred cause for which they had contended must collapse he again drew courage from the same inspired source if god be for us who can be against us the words even wove themselves into the shadowy fabric of his dreams and he frequently awoke repeating them in the last night of his life he fancied that he saw the noble words written in letters of flame before his eyes if god be for us who can be against us and those are the words which in latin you will find inscribed over his study door in the old house at wittenberg sidus pro nobis quis contra nos for that is philip melanchthon's text philip melanchthon died in fifteen sixty exactly a hundred years later in sixteen sixty john bunyan bends over the manuscript of grace abounding i was brought into great straits he tells us for a while he was afraid that his health might sink under the strain to which he was exposed he felt that he was threatened by a premature death and he was not ready to die but neither was he ready to live if he lived he reflected he might lose such faith as he had he had seen many whose love for christ was once white-hot grow cool with the passage of the years it was whilst he was being tossed on the horns of this dilemma 
that the text which a century earlier had thrilled melanchthon with the exultation of triumph rushed to the rescue i remember he says that i was sitting in a neighbor's house and was very sad that the word suddenly came to me what shall we say to these things if god be for us who can be against us that was a help to me of course it was it was just the word that he needed what shall i say to death asked philip melanchthon that day in fifteen sixty when death came knocking at the study door what shall i say to life asked john bunyan that day in sixteen sixty when life threatened gradually to sap away his faith what shall we then say to these things replies paul if god be for us who can be against us it is the only reply possible and when that word has been clearly spoken nothing else remains to be said exactly a century intervened as we have seen between the ministry of the text to philip melanchthon and the ministry of the text to john bunyan by an interesting coincidence i find another century intervening between two other historic occasions on which the text played a conspicuous and memorable part everybody who has read macaulay's history of england will remember his description of the battle of the boyne the first of july dawned a day which has never since returned without exciting strong emotions of very different kinds in the two populations which divide ireland the sun rose bright and cloudless soon after four both armies were in motion but early as was the hour william of orange did not enter upon the engagements of that fateful day until he had assembled his troops and read to him the words that he desired them to carry in their hearts through all the excitements and engagements of the day just dawning with the solemnity that becomes men going into action they stood with bared heads before him what shall we say then to these things he read and there was a ring of triumph in his voice as he continued if god be for us who can be against us when lord carson visited ballymena some time ago he was presented by mr john collins with a bible in which the text was specially marked and the memory vividly recalled a hundred years after the battle of the boyne john wesley was drawing to the end of his days on his deathbed he thought of william wilberforce and of the gallant but apparently hopeless struggle by which the dauntless reformer was endeavoring to overthrow slavery mr wesley determined to send him a message of encouragement my dear sir he wrote unless the divine power has raised you up to be like athanasius against the world i see not how you can go through with your glorious enterprise in opposing that execrable villainy which is the scandal of religion of england and of human nature unless god has raised you up for this very thing you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils but if god be for us who can be against us are all of them together stronger than he go on in the name of god the music of melanchthon's text was always singing itself over and over in john wesley's heart especially towards the end it soothed his latest moments a little after so runs the account of the closing scene a little after a person coming in he strove to speak but could not finding they could not understand him he paused a little and then with all his remaining strength 
cried out, The best of all is God is with us. And soon after, lifting up his dying arm in token of victory, and raising his feeble voice with a holy triumph not to be expressed, he again repeated the heart-reviving words, The best of all is God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? What shall we say to these things? asked Philip Melanchthon, as in 1560 he looked into the face of death. If God be for us, who can be against us? What shall we say then to these things? asked John Bunyan, as in 1660 he looked into the face of life. If God be for us, who can be against us? What shall we then say to these things? asked William of Orange as he surveyed the hosts drawn up in battle array against him. If God be for us, who can be against us? What shall we say then to these things? Asked John Wesley, as a century later, he reviewed the mighty forces that band themselves together to resist any vital reform. If God be for us, who can be against us? And so over and over and over again, the text that stands inscribed over that old study door at Wittenberg has played its part bravely in the making of world history. Philip Melanchthon's text represents a fascinating study in the pros and cons of life, the things that are for us and the things that are against us. Paul's conceptions were always continental. They bewilder us by their immensity. Analyzing the universe, he finds in it two groups of forces, and in each group a league or confederacy exists. Reviewing the first group, he sees that all things are working. They are working in concert. They are working together for good. A sacred conspiracy is afoot. The stars above our heads are in secret alliance with the stones beneath our feet. The sea is in league with the land. The night has an understanding with the day. All things are banded and banded for good. But the insurrectionary forces in life are also leagued, he says. He mentions them one by one, musters them in terrifying array, and shows how mighty they are or seem and then by a magic touch he scornfully reveals their paltriness their pettiness their essential triviality formidable as they at first appear they dwindle into insignificance when compared with the powers that make for righteousness it is the story of elisha and his servant over again when the young man looked upon the cordon of the syrians lying along the valley he cried my master my master what shall we do but when his eyes having been enlightened in response to the prophet's prayer he saw the mountains full of horses and chariots of fire gathered for his protection he recognized that the powers that were for him were incomparably mightier than the hordes that were assembled against him the secret lies embedded in the heart of philip melanchthon's text the quieter forces are in league with the divine the man who ranges himself on the side of goodness and of god links his life with omnipotence and secures for himself the serene confidence of ultimate triumph the sensational feature of every illumination is the discovery that the insurrectionary forces in life are so feeble and the nobler forces so overwhelming paul draws up his fearful array of the powers that threaten to destroy us 
and then he speaks of the forces pledged to our defense and among those allied forces is god what shall we say to these things he asks if god be for us who can be against us the argument is irresistible and what then the logic of the situation is unmistakable during a crisis in the american civil war a timid soul sought an interview with abraham lincoln oh mr president he exclaimed i am most anxious that the lord should be on our side well replied mr lincoln strangely enough that gives me no anxiety at all the thing i worry about is to make sure that i am on the lord's side that is the question the divine position is a fixture mine is plastic who is on the lord's side that man has principalities and powers banded for his eternal security nothing can harm him in this world or in any other god is for him who can be against him end of section eight